Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys this morning. As Evan said earlier, we are thankful to be here this morning. And uh, if this is your first time, uh, just thankful that God brought you to gather with us. Uh, whether you came by the invite of a friend or randomly uh, stumbled upon us here this morning, for whatever reason, uh, we're glad that you're here and thankful that we get to, uh, to spend this time with you this morning. Every week at Sojourn, we preach out of the Bible, and so if you need a Bible this morning, if you just raise your hand, uh, we'll have a few folks that will bring a copy of uh, the Bible around to you just so you can read that uh, along with us this morning. And if you don't actually own a copy of the Scriptures, we'd love to give that to you as a gift, so feel free to take that home with you if you don't actually, actually have a copy of God's Word. You know, as we finish up our, our mercy, mercy series today, I hope that you have been personally challenged and encouraged. As Alan said, I think this has been a, a good time for our church, uh, that, that all of us that hopefully have been encouraged, have been challenged. I know I have personally been encouraged and challenged through this. And as I said at the very beginning of this series, uh, this was uh, being preached out of, even for myself, out of a place of weakness, not strength, that I need to listen to these sermons. These are not me telling you what to do. It's me looking at God's word, telling myself what God's word says as well. And so the stated hope and desire from the beginning of this series was that God would use these last six weeks to be a catalyst to help Sojourn Church become a merciful community to our community. That he would use this time just to, just to start to work in our hearts, work in our minds, to push us in that direction, to walk in obedience to what he's called us to. And even though we're ending this series today, I don't want the thinking to stop, the, the scheming for God's kingdom to stop, the praying to stop, the discussing to stop. I hope that we continue to do those things, whether it's in the midst of our community groups or relationships we have with one another, that we would just continue to talk about and think about how God would use us here in Fairfax to make an impact for his kingdom, for his glory and the good of our city and so I also hope that God would raise up men and women in this church. And as I said last week, I really believe that God is calling some of us in particular to step forward to lead in this. And so if that's you, be attentive to the Spirit and follow what God's calling you to do. So as we wrap things up today, we're going to jump into a text and a topic that I think is fundamental, is crucial, is critical for us as we end this series. It is a culture-shaping truth that we're going to look at today. And so as we look at this text, I hope, I pray that God will use it to bring correction where correction is necessary, to bring encouragement where encouragement is needed, to bring exhortation where exhortation is needed, to bring perseverance where perseverance is needed. And I hope and pray that as we open up God's word this morning that he will continue to use this to help us to be that merciful community to our community. So before we open up to our scripture this morning, let's just pray and ask God to do that in our time together. Father, we're grateful for this time, this opportunity we have to be together as your people, as your church. I pray that as we open up your word to look at a few verses this morning, that you would use it to continue to challenge us, to encourage us to be who we are in Christ. And for those that are here this morning that don't yet know you, I pray that you would help them to see the beauty of the love that you have for them and that you would call people to yourself. Lord, we, we want to glorify you in all that we do, we think, we say, and we pray that you'd use this time this morning under your word as we sit under it to bring that about, to bring that fruit and Lord, that you would use this time again to just make us, to push us to be that merciful community to our community. That is a work that your spirit does in our hearts, and we ask that you would do it. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. 
We'll go ahead and open up your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John is towards the end of your Bible. It's one of the last few books. So flip over to 1 John chapter 3. And we're just going to look at three verses in our time together this morning. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. The Apostle John writes this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Three short verses tucked away at the in a short book at the end of your Bible, three short verses that I think are packed with a lot of meaning, a lot of challenge for us as God's people, as God's church here and now. This is a text that does call us to be who we are in Christ, and the gospel is central to this at the beginning, the middle, and the end of what John is calling us to in this text. At the very beginning of verse 16, John says, what, he starts to give the definition for what is love. He says, by this we know love. What is love? I'm not talking the 90s, early 90s song here, okay? It's going to be stuck in your head the rest of the day. What is love? I mean, love is a, is a topic of our culture that likes to discuss, likes to think about. If you're a Virginia resident, you've gotten a license plate recently, the state slogan is on the back of that, Virginia is for lovers, whatever that means. But it's everywhere. Love is all around us and our culture likes to talk about it, likes to think about it, and oftentimes it likes to give definition to it that most of the time has to do with emotions and has to do with feelings towards a particular person or a particular thing. But here, John is not trying to be poetic. He's not waxing eloquently on the subject of love. John is defining love for us, and he shows us that true love manifests itself in real action. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. See, John's about to throw down here. This is not an inconsequential statement. He's saying if we want to know real love, if we want to know true love, we don't have to look any further than the cross of Christ. Jesus laid down his life for us. That is love. But we have to understand it isn't simply the fact that Christ died. It isn't simply the fact that he laid down his life. That's not where the love is displayed, not just in the fact that he died. Let me give you an example to help us understand this. If I go hiking and I'm standing out on a rock and and I'm overlooked, just a big overlook, and able to see everything around me, and I'm just out there admiring the beauty of creation, and you come along and you say, brother, I love you. My words are not enough for you to tell you that I love you, that I care for you. So in order to show my love for you, I'm going to jump off this cliff for you. I would look at you and think you're crazy. How in the world does that communicate love to me? But if I'm standing on that same cliff and I'm overlooking this canyon, this beautiful picture, and I'm not really paying attention to what I'm doing and I slip off the edge and I'm dangling on the side of this cliff and you come along and you see me, and you see me in need, and you come to me, and you risk your life for me by climbing down and trying to help me get back up, to get me out of harm's way, even at the risk and possibility of losing your own life, that communicates love to me. But see, Jesus goes so much further than that. 
Because you and I are not just dangling on the edge of a cliff, we are dead. Completely dead in our sin. Unwilling and unable to save ourselves, to give ourselves life. But the reality is we're not only dead in our sin, we also are enemies of God. We've rebelled against him. God is king of all creation. He is the Lord of lords, yet we've rejected that and said, I want to be king. I want to be Lord of my life. I want to be God in my life. So that makes us enemies of God. So not only are we dead in our sin, we're also enemies of the one true God. See, you and I don't deserve rescue. We have no standing to promote ourselves to God as being worthy of rescue, worthy of reconciliation, worthy of resuscitation. It's quite the opposite. But God loved you. He loved you personally. He loved you specifically. And God loved you by coming to you. And he loved you by giving his only son for you. And to what end? To cleanse you of all your sin to make you as white as snow, to adopt you into his family as his son or daughter. See, Jesus' love, this is defining love for us because it is love because at the cost of his life, he gives us life. At the cost of Jesus' life, he gives us life. And John chapter 10 tells us Jesus lays down his life willingly for us. That is love. That's good news. That's the best news. It's the story of the gospel. It's weaved throughout all of scripture. It's the story of redeeming love. Romans chapter five, verse eight says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. First John, earlier in the, in the book of First John chapter three, verse one, says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Another translation says, see what kind of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Listen to me. If you are in Christ this morning, if you've trusted in Christ, if you've turned away from your sin and you lean wholly and completely on Jesus to be reconciled to God, you know what real love is because you've experienced it. You know what real love is. It doesn't matter the kind of relationships you've had or that you're in right now. Those have been good or bad. You know what real love is if you're in Christ because you have experienced it no matter what's going on in your life even right now. If you're hurting if you're lonely, if you're tired, if you're just down and out, God's love remains. See, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what John's saying here is that God's love for you is not contingent on your behavior. It's contingent on his son. And Jesus declares, it is finished. So if you're in Christ, be, the, be encouraged this morning. You are dearly and truly loved. Romans chapter 8 Paul reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that we receive in Christ. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that this morning. And I think if we're honest, we all need to hear that this morning, to be reminded of that, to believe that today. Something I've been praying over the last few weeks, maybe even the last few months, is that just a simple thing was that God would help me to love him more and that God would help me to understand his love for me more. Because it's so easy for me to read that. Yeah, God loves me. Jesus loves me. Man, but do I really understand what that means? 
Does it so impact my heart, so impact my life that it changes the way I view everything? A simple prayer, God, help me love you more and help me to know your love for me more. And brothers and sisters, may God's word wash over you this morning. May it be encouragement to a faint heart, water to a weary soul this morning, endurance for the calling God has for you. But if you sit here this morning and you know that you're not yet in Christ, that you haven't experienced God's redeeming grace in your own life, this message is for you also. Because it's a message of hope and it's a message of invitation for you. It's a message of God's love, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to rescue you, to pull you out of darkness, to pull you out of death, to redeem and restore you. Jesus alone is the remedy. He's the, he alone is the remedy to everything that's broken in our life, our distance from God because our sin has separated us from him. But Jesus came to die in the place of sinners like you and like me to give us life. So if you don't have that life in Christ, if you haven't accepted that free gift of grace through Jesus, will you respond to his invitation this morning of saving and transforming grace? Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So come today through Jesus. Respond today to the gift of grace and the love of God that's available to you. See, Sojourn, we cannot move on to what John calls us to in the next phrase. We can't move on to what John calls us to in the following verses unless we understand this, that this is love. That this is love. See, John defines love through the sacrifice of Christ. The love of God is defined and made manifest and explicit to us at the cross of Christ. So much of 1 John seems redundant if you've read it before because John just keeps coming back to this over and over and over again. Later on in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, he says this again, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfying sacrifice for our sins. Sojourn, there is never anything wrong with lingering long over the love of God that comes to reality in and through the gospel of Jesus. We never move past it. It's never old news. It's always the best news, and it's always important for us to come back to, to sit and soak in over and over and over again. And the reason we need to do that this morning is, is because it's only when we even start to understand, start to comprehend love through the lens of the gospel that Christ came for us, that he lived for us, that he died for us, that he rose for us. Only then, if we even start to wrap our minds around that, that we're able to walk in obedience to the command that John gives us next. We can't just look quickly at this. We have to sit and think about what does it mean that Christ's love is made manifest to us, that, that that's the key, that's the foundation for what he's going to call us to. Verse 16 says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers See, Christ's love for us is both the example and the power for us to love one another. 
1 John 4, 11 says the same thing. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Our love for one another is contingent on and based on, is the foundation that it rests on, is Jesus' love for you and for me. But do you see what John's calling you and me to? He's saying if you're in Christ, if, you, if you've experienced the love of God that comes in and through Christ, then you ought to, you ought to be willing in love to lay down your life on behalf of your brothers and sisters. Literally lay down your life for them. That's what a father or mother would do for their children. It's what a husband would do for his wife. It's what true family does for one another. Sojourn, we have to understand that the gospel makes you and me family. It makes us brothers and sisters. That's what we're called to do for one another. And only genuine love created by the Spirit, existing in and flowing out of a new heart that's been given to us by God, will allow us and compel us to do something like that. To say, I would die for you, my brother. I would die for you, my sister. This is not a new idea that John's coming up with. It's the ethic of our king. See, Jesus said something very similar himself to his disciples and to us this morning John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13, Jesus says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The kind of love we're talking about here is selfless giving on behalf of another person. It's giving that has personal cost, but doesn't hesitate because of genuine love. Now, this sounds noble and exciting, right? Laying down our life for someone. It sounds, it sounds admirable. It sounds commendable. But if we're honest, it isn't very realistic. I'm not saying that we're not unwilling to do this, but in the reality of our day-to-day life, there's not going to be a whole lot of opportunities probably for you or for me to literally lay down my physical life on your behalf or on my behalf. So John very quickly brings it down to real life. Look at verse 16 and 17 together. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Yes, we get that. But then he says this, but if anyone has the world's goods, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You or I can say that we have this kind of love, The kind of love where we would lay down our life on behalf of another person. But what happens when we just look out in the day-to-day of life and see a brother or sister in need right now? See, displaying this kind of love is not something for us to hear this morning and say, okay, yeah, I'm willing to do that. I'll go out and I'll, I'll lay down my life for my friends, for my brothers and sisters. The opportunity is now for you to serve those around you that you're in community with to show this love, to give this love, to show this kind of mercy, to give this kind of mercy. What John is doing here is he's connecting the love we say that we have for God with the love we actually show to one another. We can say that we have love for God, but he's saying that that's directly connected to the love that we, say, that we actually show to one another. This is exactly what James says in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, John's question should be taken seriously. 
If we see our brothers and sisters in need and don't seek to relieve his or her distress, how could God's love really actually be in us? See, when we say we have love for God, if we actually have love for God, that's what enables us to actually have love for other people. Our love for other people flows out of a love that we actually have from God because it comes from the new heart that he's given to us, which means this is a heart issue. To love like this, the way that John is calling us to love one another, is not something that we just grit our teeth and just go do. It comes from a transformed heart that's so changed, so moved, so motivated and captivated by the love we have received from God through Christ. See, the fruit of true faith is genuine love for one another. That's what James is saying. That's what John is saying. True faith manifests itself in a genuine love for one another. Sojourn, I think something we're trying to see here that John's trying to point out is, is that the most pressing need in the world around us is not heroic martyrdom, but heroic acts of daily, regular sacrifice and care for one another. That's what love is. That's what John's calling us to. And so John gives us a clear command in verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Don't just use your words to tell someone you love them. Love in action. Love in deed and truth. True compassion requires action. And as brothers and sisters in God's family, we should be the first ones to seek to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters, to meet the needs of those in our family, to go to the people that are hurting, the people in need, whatever those needs might be, and say, I want to be there. I'm there for you, brother. I'm there for you, sister, because of the love I've received in and through Jesus. The only way that you and I can do this is because of the great love that we have been loved with. Christ became nothing, and through that we gain everything. It doesn't stop with us then. It overflows in our life to one another. Now you may be thinking, why are we ending this series on mercy with this? Why are we ending a series on mercy, talking about being a merciful community to our community by looking at this? This is talking about our relationships with one another. The reason is, is because I believe if we don't genuinely love one another, if we don't genuinely show mercy to one another, we will not show mercy to the community around us. If we can look at one another and overlook our needs, overlook caring and loving, genuinely loving one another, then we will not do that to the greater city of Fairfax. As one pastor puts it, it's easier to have a love for humanity with a capital H than it is to love an individual person. Loving everybody in a general way may be a way to love no one in a particular way. See, when God saves us from our sin through Christ, he doesn't save us merely as individuals, he saves us as individuals who are brought into a community. Sojourn, the gospel makes us a family. And that's an awesome, crazy, messy reality. We come from different backgrounds and different cultures, different experiences, all different kinds of likes and dislikes, preferences, emotions, personalities, all those things mixed together, and the gospel is what brings us together. The gospel is what binds us together and allows us to make the mess work. The beauty of the gospel is that it transcends all differences and it forms a unified people. Ephesians chapter 4 calls us to maintain the unity that we have. Jesus bought the unity for us. 
He, he brought us together. He unifies us. Now we're called to maintain that. And Sojourn, I, I, we've said this over and over again. I want to say it again because this is a, a hope, uh, something I desire, something that I want us to be praying for and working towards is that we would be a community that is only explainable because of the gospel. A community that's only explainable because of the gospel. And one way that that manifests itself in our life together is how we love one another. is how we show mercy to one another. The early church understood this. In Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, we see pictures of people genuinely loving one another. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47, listen to this. And all who believed... All who believed the gospel were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They believed the gospel and their love that they received from God through Christ overflowed in a love for one another to meet the needs of those who were in need. That was an attractive community. It was an attractive community. The world around them saw that and were drawn to that love and more and more came to know Christ through that. Acts chapter 4, just a few chapters later, Luke again records this about the early church. He says, now the full number of those who believed, those who believed the gospel, were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Sojourn, this isn't communism. This is a caring community. It's what family does for one another. When people genuinely love one another, they pour out their lives for one another. It's the reality of the gospel made manifest in their life that they can't look at their brothers and sisters and say, I can't serve you. I can't meet your need. I love you so much that I have to do this goes back to verse 16 and says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. A covenant community that is founded on and shaped by the gospel loves one another sacrificially and joyfully. We love one another with the kind and quantity of love that we've received. So what are we to do with this? What do we to do this? When it comes down to just practically living this out in the day-to-day of our lives with one another, what are we actually supposed to do with this? I want to give us one sentence that I want to break down into three parts. So one sentence, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. By God's grace, I want us to walk with one another in humility and intentionality. By God's grace, I want us to walk with one another in humility and intentionality. So let's break that down. By God's grace, the gospel has to be the beginning, middle, and end of this. It's only by his grace that we're able to do that. So it's what we've talked about. But what does it mean to walk with one another? Man, it is really easy for us to take the community we have with one another that the gospel has made possible to take that community for granted. 
because there are a lot of pseudo-communities that exist. And a lot of us are a part of those things, whether it's a sports team or a fantasy football league or something going on at work or your community that you live in or the school that you go to. There's lots of pseudo-communities, but there's no other community like the church because no other community has been formed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That makes this unique, what we have with one another unique, different than anything else the world can offer us. We are brought together because of the gospel We're brought together because of the gospel, but we have to be purposeful and committed to walking together. We have to strive. We have to put forth effort to make this possible, to work at this, to build this kind of caring community because our flesh and the world communicate something different to us. It tells us to get ours, to look out for number one. This kind of caring community where we love one another in this way is countercultural to the culture and the world that we found, find ourselves in, but it is the culture of the kingdom that we belong to if we're in Christ. You're a citizen of the new heavens, the new earth, of God's kingdom, and this is what our king calls us to. Why does this matter? Because life is hard. Life is, is difficult, it's challenging. The effects of sin in your life and the sin and the effects of sin in this world are real. See, when you come to know Jesus, it doesn't mean your life becomes easier. Sometimes for some of you, your life becomes more difficult. There's still a lot of brokenness that exists in this world. Life is hard and it can be a lonely journey, but it isn't meant to be that way. You are not called to walk alone We need other people. God has designed you that way. We can go all the way back to the very beginning of the scriptures, the very beginning of Genesis, before sin enters into the world, and God says it is not good for man to be alone. We are created for community. And so when we're struggling physically or spiritually, we're having a difficult time in life, some circumstances that we find ourselves in, when we see another brother or sister come alongside of us to walk along with us in the midst of our suffering, into the midst of our trial, we are reminded at that moment of the reality of the kingdom of God and the gracious love of our Lord. We're reminded that we're not alone, that God is with us and he is working through his people in our lives. It's as if we're running a race And we know the end's in sight, but we just don't feel like we can go any further. And we're stumbling and we have leg cramps and we're just going to give up. But then a brother or sister comes in with fresh legs and says, brother, I'm running with you. Let's go. Sister, I'm running with you. Let's go. Get on my back. I'm going to carry you. That's what a loving, caring community does. We may be struggling to believe, but others around us are full of faith. And at times, their faith can help carry us as they speak words of life into our life. See, we don't just love in words, though words are critical and important. We love in deed as well. Walking together requires presence in one another's lives. It requires presence. And sometimes it's just as simple as that. Just actually physically being present with someone. We could go back to the book of Job and If you're familiar with the story of Job, Job has suffered a whole lot. A lot of physical things have happened to him. He's lost a whole lot. And his friends come to him, and they sit with him in silence for seven days. For seven days, they just come to be with his friend who's suffering. There is power when God's people are truly present with one another. 
It's one of the reasons we need to gather together on Sunday mornings. This is not just some rote religious activity to do. This gives life. It gives encouragement to you to look around and say, oh, my brothers and sisters are here with me this morning. This is my family. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says this. It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. Do you believe that? Are, are you willing to strive for that, to fight for that, to walk with one another? By God's grace, I want us to walk with one another in humility. In humility, what does that mean? See, life is hard, but sometimes I think it can be even harder to actually express a need that we have, to share a weakness, to ask for help. Because the reality is the pride in our hearts and the mantra of our culture is dangerously individualistic. We can start to believe lies like strong people don't ask for help. This is a, this is a personal matter. It's a private matter. I keep it to myself within our family. We can believe things like, I don't want to burden someone else with my problems. People have their own problems. I don't want to burden anybody with my problems, so I'll just keep this to myself. Maybe you have believed those things. Maybe you're believing those things right now in your own life. But listen to me, brother, sister, on your own, you are weak. You're not strong. On my own, I'm weak, I'm not strong, but the good news of the gospel is that our Savior is strong. And he's brought us together to be his body that works together, that cares for one another together. And so your burdens, your personal matters are ours to carry together. Because we are a family, we really are, and we aren't going anywhere. We aren't going anywhere. So will you share what's going on in your life right now with someone? Will you let others know where you're struggling, where you need help, where you need encouragement? Will you ask your family to help carry your burden, whatever it happens to be right now? Will you in humility do that? Don't allow pride to get in the way of the grace that God wants to give to you through his people. See, John is talking about meeting very physical needs but we can also apply this just to the, the spiritual needs and general suffering that many of us are walking through. Because oftentimes it's the spiritual struggles and suffering that actually bear out physical fruit in our life, whether it's depression or anxiety or a racing heart or sleepless nights. Share those things with your brothers and sisters. It's humbling to ask for help, but that's God's grace to you to work in your heart, to work in your life, to change you, to mold you, to shape you from one degree of glory to another. I mean, can I be honest? I'm a very internal person. I process internally. I think a lot internally. Sometimes people might even say I'm stoic, but listen to me, stoicism is never admirable. It's never admirable. And recently, God's been pressing in my own life, my own heart, through the help of brothers around me to open up my mouth a little bit more to share what's going on in my heart and my mind, even if I don't have complete thoughts about it, to be more vocal about when I might be struggling with something. And listen to me, that's hard for me. That's hard for me to do that. I could blame it on personality, I could blame it on other things, but I think sometimes it's just pride. And I'm not willing to humble myself and say, guys, I need help. I'm really struggling right now. It's humbling for me, but it's so, so good. 
sojourn, isolation is deadly. Absolutely deadly. The enemy would not want nothing more than to isolate you off with your own problems, your own burdens, never to share those things with anyone around you. And so I need to be reminded of that today, and you need to be reminded of that today. It takes humility to express a need, and it takes love to meet it. By God's grace, I want us to walk with one another in humility and intentionality. Notice what John says in verse 17, the one who sees his brother in need. The one who sees his brother in need. While I'm calling all of us to have humility to express and share the burdens and the needs that we might actually have in our life, I'm also calling all of us to be intentional with our brothers and sisters, to walk together with intentionality. Let's not always wait for someone to vocalize a need, not always wait for someone to express a need, but be looking for those things, knowing that we all have issues, that we all have brokenness in our life, that at different times and different ways, we're all going to have burdens that we need someone else to carry. So let's look for those things, look for ways to show mercy to one another, to love one another. But seeing a need in your brother or sister's life requires proximity to one another. It requires you to be actually involved in one another's lives. See, this is good as we gather together on Sunday mornings. We should be encouraged by this. We should look forward to and long to gather together as the church, but this is not sufficient. Because you don't really interact in a way this morning to really be involved in one another's lives. Real relationships are the only opportunity in the venue for you to express real need, to meet real need. And so we need to be intentional to form those relationships. And as we've been saying all along through this series, that's going to require us to stop, to slow down, and look around us. Because you and I can get so wrapped up in our world, our own little world, our own lives, that we neglect to be truly involved in the lives of one another. I know for me, oftentimes what it is, is I just lack empathy. My wife would attest to that. It's an area of my life that I need to grow in is being more empathetic and caring and loving towards other people. That's where I need God to work on me, that I be intentional to empathize with and love my brothers and sisters around me, to slow down enough to do that. See, genuine love for one another will take note and notice of when someone around us that we care about, that we truly love, is in need of mercy, is in need of help. So we need to be intentional with those things. We also need to think about when we do open our mouths, what we're actually saying to one another. See, Job's friends were great until they opened their mouths. So that's not a call for us to never open our mouths, but it's when we do open our mouths that what we say is truth seasoned, seasoned truth, that everything we say is communicating about who God is, who we are, and what that means for our lives. That we're being intentional with our words as well. So during the love of Christ is a love that expends itself in the interest of others, that doesn't hold back. It's the kind of love that is sacrificial. It's costly. It costs time. It costs money. It costs resources. It costs personal space and comfort. And if we're honest, I think that's one of the biggest reasons that we don't love one another in this way. That we don't engage in loving in this way and showing mercy in this way because it costs too much for us. But when the gospel comes to bear in our life, when we go back to verse 16 and we linger long in what Christ has done for us, we allow that to change our hearts as we look around at those in need. We say, yes, I'll lay down my life for you because I love you. I care for you. 
To be selfless instead of selfish requires the mind of Christ. But listen, if you are in Christ, that's been given to you. You can live a selfless life because Jesus died for you and rose again. See, the crazy thing about all this is that it might actually be God's grace to you to serve another person. It might actually help you because serving can be so freeing as you take your eyes off of yourself. It's a means of grace to you to serve others in need. So to close, I just want to throw out some ideas. Just prime the pump a little bit on your heart of ways that you can serve one another intentionally. That as you walk with one another in humility, with intentionality, just some ways that you can do that in deed and truth as a family. Sojourn, family takes care of family. So here's some ways that we can do that. I mentioned this uh, last week, but we have a benevolence fund. And a benevolence fund is just a, a bunch of resources that we have to serve those that are, that are in need, both inside and outside of our church. And it's something that we set budget money aside for every year, but it's something that you can give directly to to increase that fund that we might meet more needs both inside and outside of our church. And so I want to call you, if you call Sojourn your church, I want to call you to pray and consider giving above and beyond what you normally give to give to the Benevolence Fund. And it's very simple. You can write a check to Sojourn Church and in the memo line, write Benevolence, and that'll get tagged to go into that fund just to meet the physical needs of your brothers and sisters that you might not know about. So I want to call you to do that. I want to encourage you to do that, to be prayerful about that. How would God have you give above and beyond so that you can meet those needs? I want to call us to visit the sick. That's a very biblical idea that I think as the American church, we've gotten a long ways away from. And visiting the sick is going to the hospital, going to someone's home, not just with serious illness, but any illness. There may be brothers and sisters this morning that you know are not here today because they're sick. What would it look like for you to visit them? to go just be with them. You can wash your hands, you can sanitize, you can do all that stuff, okay? But just go be present with them. Bring them a meal, love on them, care for them. Someone who's had surgery, someone who's dealing with serious sickness, just go spend time with them. It could be financial help. Someone's having a hard time paying their electric bill or their, their gas bill or putting gas in their car or paying their rent or their mortgage. Man, let's be the first people to offer financial help to one another. About childcare. With someone who's in need, for somebody to take care of their kids, or just to give a couple a chance to go out on a date they haven't been on in years. What would it look like for us to show love and care for one another by providing child care or housing? Maybe, maybe someone is, is displaced from housing for some reason, and you can open up your home to them for some period of time to welcome them in to live with you for a period of time. Let's do that as brothers and sisters. Maybe it's repairs on a car or a house. Maybe it's giving, giving food, actual meals, or stocking a pantry. It could be a meal when someone has been sick or had a baby, but maybe somebody just needs food to, to provide for their family in this moment, and you can provide those means for them. There's a lot of new moms in our church. What would it look like to love on them by giving them a meal, but even more than that, maybe offering to do their laundry, clean their house, hang out with their other kids so they can take a nap, some way to show love and mercy to them. But it can be things too like depression and anxiety, some things that are hard to wrap our minds around really to understand what that really looks like. But what would it look like for us to look at our brothers and sisters and say, brother, I want to walk with you. I want, to, I want to come alongside of you. Show me, tell me how I can serve you, how I can be merciful to you and love you in this moment. And one of the biggest things I think we can do, Sojourn, is just pray for one another. I don't mean the, the salutary kind of thing where we just say, hey, I'll pray for you, if I remember. 
I'm talking like real intercession. Where we'd see it as a joy to go before the King of Kings, to come before the throne of God and say, I'm coming here not on my own behalf, but on the behalf of my brother, behalf of my sister. God, would you do a work in their life? Would you bring healing? Would you bring relief? That's a joy. That's a privilege. That's what family gets to do with one another. There could be a ton of other ways. This is not a, about a list. It's about love. It's not about checking boxes. It's about love. Listen, we're not a perfect people. We're not a perfect family. I don't want us, though, to sit around and complain about our shortcomings and our weaknesses and our frustrations. Those things will be present, Sojourn. I want us to jump into the mess, to participate, to strive, to live out this good gift that God has given to us, this gift of one another. And to what end? that we might display the fruit of grace and mercy in our own lives, that our love for one another will be evidence of and an example to the world around us, that we are disciples of Jesus and the gospel is real. John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This doesn't just stop with us. It's not just about us. It's about the people around us observing us and watching us, seeing how we care and love for one another. May we be an attractive community to our community that when you become a part of this church, it means that you are cared for and loved by your brothers and sisters. Let's love one another to the glory of God, to the good of our sojourn family, and to the good of the city we find ourselves in. Sojourn, with God's help, let's be a humble and loving community to one another and may that overflow in our lives so that we can be a merciful community to our community. As we come forward this morning to take communion, I want us to see this as the first opportunity to apply the sermon today. Because as we come forward to take the bread, symbolizing Christ's body broken for us, as we drink the cup, symbolizing Christ's blood shed for us, we're doing two things. We're participating in covenant renewal with God, remembering the great love with which he loved us, saving us and adopting us as his children through Christ. But we're also participating in covenant renewal with one another, remembering and reminding one another that it's the gospel that binds us together, that we are family regardless of our differences, our hurts, our pains, or our struggles. And so as you eat and drink this morning, rejoice in the fact that the love that has been shown to you in Christ, rejoice in that and rejoice that we now can love one another. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward to take communion. And that's not trying to be unloving. What this is is us identifying with Jesus and what he's done for us, that we've experienced the love of God. And so if you haven't yet experienced the love of God in that way, we don't want you to come forward just to take some bread and take some drink. We want you to take Christ this morning. So just hang out in your seat if you don't know Jesus yet. Pray that God would display his love for you that way, that he'd help you to understand that you would repent and trust in Jesus today. And if you have questions about what that means, please come talk to me afterwards or any of our other leaders. We'd love to journey with you in this. We'd love to pray for you in this and help you to start following and knowing Christ. Those of you that will come forward, you can come forward when you're ready to receive the elements. We also have some stations at the back of the room as well. And you can tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. There's an old hymn that we used to sing in the church that I grew up in. And it goes like this. 
Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims are one, our comforts and our cares. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. Sojourn, you're my family, and I'm your family, and everyone in this room is your brothers and sisters that will come forward this morning. Rejoice in that. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you don't just save us through Jesus, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, that we're not just justified before you, that we're not just made right with you. But God, that you also adopt us into your family. That you call us sons and daughters. And that by calling us sons and daughters, we call one another brother and sister. And so Lord, we ask, if there's places or people that need to be reconciled with one another this morning, that you bring about that reconciliation. That we know that we have that because of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would be this kind of family. Father, help us to do this. Help us to linger long on your love for us. Help us to overflow in love for one another. And Father, I just pray that you would help Sojourn Church here in Fairfax to be a merciful community to our community. Lord, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.